Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 11. We're still marching through this wonderful Gospel record, seeing the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is portrayed within this Gospel record of Luke, which is one of the most detailed of the Gospel records taking our time and explaining what Jesus Christ has done. Now as we're in a part of um, the gospel record, Jesus Christ is beginning to make his journey to Jerusalem. When he arrives at Jerusalem, he's going to be put on a false trial. He is going to be crucified for our sins, put on a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he is going to rise again. But on his way there, he is going to encounter much resistance that comes in the forms of the Pharisees. And we find him once again dealing with the Pharisees in the gospel record of Luke and chapter number 11. And let's pick it up starting at verse number 37. The gospel record of Luke chapter 11 and in verse number 37, the word of God says this. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also, but rather give alms of such thing as you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees! For ye love the uttermost seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites! For ye are as graves which appear not, and men that walk over them are not aware of them. Then said one of the lawyers, and said unto him, Master! Thus saying thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laud men with burdens, grievous to be borne. And ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you that ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly bear ye witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will slay and persecute. 
that the blood of all the prophets, which were shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye have not entered in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. And if you wouldn't mind, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that Jesus says over and over inside of this passage in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 11. Notice with me at the very beginning of verse 42. But woe unto you. Verse 43. Woe unto you. Verse 40. For woe unto you. Then once again to verse 46. Woe unto you. 47. Woe unto you. And with this as Jesus Christ is dealing with the Pharisees. We're going to use that as his title here. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking as you have a very hard message to the Pharisees, help us to discern in our own lives the message that you are hitting across them. That we don't just see their failures, but we could also see our responsibilities and avoid the same trap the same path that they took. Lord, help us to have spiritual eyes that we may see. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus Christ is now dealing with the Pharisees, he is invited to come to another meal with the Pharisee. In the Gospel record of Luke, there are three different times Jesus Christ was invited to a meal by the Pharisees. The first one has already come and passed, and we've dealt with that. This is the second, and the third one is upcoming. And so, once again, Jesus Christ is invited to a meal by a Pharisee. And it is during this time that the Pharisees are just looking for a reason to accuse Jesus Christ. And in this, they immediately find their accusation. With this, let's see as Jesus Christ is going to give two different distinct woes to uh, the groups of people, the Pharisees and the lawyer. The first thing is woe unto the Pharisees. Woe unto the Pharisees. Notice with me as we see the context in verse 37. And as he, Jesus, spake, certain, a certain Pharisee besought him, begged him, asked him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. So the Pharisee came up, Jesus, come and eat in my house. Okay, so Jesus goes, takes a seat, and gets ready to eat. 
Well, this triggered everything. Verse 38. And when the Pharisee saw it, he, the Pharisee, marveled that he, Jesus, had not first washed before dinner. Now, don't let this confuse you. This isn't the idea that his hands were dirty and now he's eating with grummy hands or it's all germy and that he's going to pass the infections on. What they're speaking about is that Jesus didn't do the ceremonial cleaning that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees have made just a a complex law and ritual of every small little thing. In this, the hand washing actually went in a little book later on. It was oral tradition here, but later it was written down. But it actually had several chapters. And the first chapter was all about the, about the amount of water used for this ceremonial cleaning. And that the amount of water was measured in something kind of like a soda can or something smaller than a soda can. And depending on the number of people, there was a small fraction amount of the water within the soda can that you would pour upon your hands. And what you would do is that you would pour it, but you would also catch it in a cup afterwards. So that way you could use the cup, the other one, to ceremonial wash someone else's hands and so on and so forth. And there was a certain ritual, a way of doing it. It. And the amount of water wasn't going to be enough to really wash your hands of germs, but it was the ceremony. I'm washing myself from the filth of the world, from the grime of the Pharisees, because I'm pure and I'm righteous and I'm so great because I'm God's people. And because Jesus didn't go through this ceremonial mess because it wasn't necessary, they all went, oh, I thought he was perfect. I thought he was righteous. I thought he was truly one of God's people. How dare he not go through this ritual? Well, he didn't have to go through the ritual because the ritual was meaningless. But all the Pharisees all began to talk among themselves. And now they're upset. And so Jesus Christ, when he saw and understood what uh, their thoughts... Over and over, we see this idea that he knew their thoughts and knew their thoughts. We give the assumption that he knew their thoughts again because he immediately answers them. Verse number 39. And the Lord said unto him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Jesus says, okay, listen, you're making a big deal of all of this. You're very big on the outside things. You're very big on pomp and circumstance. You're very big on rituals. You're very good, big on being seen. However, as clean as you may make the outside of the cup, when's the last time you wash the inside of the cup? That's nasty and dirty. You want to talk about what really makes you dirty. You take a cup that you haven't washed in years and you want to drink out of that. You think that's safer than just washing the outside of it and because the outside looks good, you think it's good. It's not about ritual. It's not about the outside. It's not about how you're doing on the outside as much as it is the inside. Are you right with God on the inside? Are you clean on the inside? Have you been washed with the word? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been to Jesus Christ? Have you been to God for the forgiving of your sins? And the Pharisees all wanted to work on the outside. That's what men saw. That's what they, they wanted to look good. But Jesus looks on the inside of our hearts as well. He knew their hearts. Notice as he goes on. All right, he said that your inward part is full of ravening. It carries the idea of a ravishing wolf. It carries the idea of someone that's looking to tear into, ready to, to destroy, ready to, to um, destroy everything. And it's in. 
Their cup is full of wickedness. Notice in verse 40. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? So Jesus Christ is saying, listen, God knows you. Didn't he make the inside of you as well as the outside of you? You concentrate on the outside and you ignore the inside. Notice as it goes on, he gives an illustration, verse 41. But rather, give alms of such thing as you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manners of herbs. Now here he goes on and gives something specific. The Pharisees were known for their tithing because that's something they could outwardly show. Hey, I tithe of everything that I owe. And so much so that the rule books that they have put up actually talk about what they're supposed to tithe after. That there are different things you could tithe after. But inside of their rule book, it says, listen, you don't have to tithe off of the herbs in your garden. Alright, so if you have mint plants, you don't have to say, well listen, I got 10 mint plants. I'm going to tithe after this whole mint plant here, and I'm going to give it to the Lord. But they said, listen, we tithe so much, we even tithe after our mint. We tithe after our rue, which is a small little fragrant plant. But can you imagine them taking a plant and taking all of the remnants of the plant that you're going to use and cut them up and all right, here's the tenth part. Look at how great I am. I take time to make a tenth out of all the dandelions in my garden. I give a tenth to the Lord. Look at how great. I, I, when I mow my lawn, I go ahead and take my clippings of my lawn and I give to God because I want to give of everything that he has given me bountiful. Now that's ridiculous and that's just being too much. But yet, they like to do it. Look, I tithe after the smallest plant in my yard. Look at how righteous, look at how great I am. You see, they had no problems with tithing because that was something they could do on the outside. Look at what I do. Look at how religious I am. Now, Jesus is not condemning tithing. In fact, he says you should tithe. But he says, you've also neglected other things as well. Verse 42 again. But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manners of herb, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These things ye ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. Meaning, good, you're tithing. That's great. We don't have to talk to you about tithing. Tithing's important. It's what you should do. However, there are other things that you're missing out on, like caring for others, making sure others are brought along, trying to help others to become as spiritual as you think that you are. Instead of trying to show how great you are and how you're better than everyone else, you're not loving others, you're loving yourselves. Notice as it goes on in verse 43, Woe unto you Pharisees! Remember the word woe carries the idea of cursed. So when he's saying woe unto them, he's saying out loud, you are cursed Pharisees. You're cursed Pharisees. Now again, I know that's not how the modern portrayal of Jesus would preach. But this is how the historical biblical Jesus preached. He yelled at him and said, you're wrong and you're cursed. Now remember the word cursed in the Bible carries the idea that you deserve damnation. You deserve damnation Pharisees because of the way that you're behaving, the way that you're acting. Woe unto you, Pharisees, 43, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues. 
Now, in the synagogues, the way that many of them were designed is that they were designed so that the speaker would be on the bottom floor and then they would have a seating that would go around and kind of like stadium seeking. So no matter where you were sitting at, you would look down and be able to see the speaker and the speaker could kind of just give direction wherever he was at. Well, the Pharisees loved to be in the uttermost part, meaning the closest part. So when people look down at the speaker, they could also look down and see there's the Pharisees right there too. That they were in the field of view of everyone. They loved those seats. Look at how religious I am, that when you hear the word of God, you have to look at me. They loved just to be in the seats. It's almost like someone who says, I man, I just want to sit in the platform. That's my dream. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit there and everyone look at me and look at how close I am to the preacher and look at how great that is. They just wanted to be seated in a position where they were in the field of view. They wanted to be present. Notice he says, and woe unto you Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market. Now the Pharisees would wear flowing garments that everyone could immediately see that I was a Pharisee. And they loved when people addressed them, oh, minister, rabbi, teacher, doctor, professor, so-and-so, I am so glad to see you. And the Pharisee would nod and that's me, how great I am. Oh, great Dr. Pharisee, teacher, rabbi, father, blah, 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 so-and-so. Oh, look how great. They loved when people would address them and their long titles and their big benedictions of who they were. They loved when people would recognize how great they were. Jesus said in verse 44, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! The word hypocrites is where we get our word actor. Now here they are trying to pretend to be something they're not. What are they pretending? They're pretending to be right with God when they are not right with God. They are as far away from God as they possibly can be. But they've got everyone fooled. Everyone thinks they're so religious, so spiritual, so right with God. One of God's anointed, trusted people. And all they're doing is acting the part. Playing pretend. Notice what Jesus said about them. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are as graves which appear not, and men walk over them that are not aware of them. Now, this is a big deal to the, to the Jewish people. To the Jewish people, to be as right with God as possible, they were not allowed to touch unclean things, which would include graves. And for a Jewish person, they weren't allowed to be in any kind of graveyard without going through a ceremonial cleaning and whatnot. They just had, couldn't touch it. They couldn't avoid it. If they did, they would be unclean for a long period of time. And Jesus Jesus says, guess what? You're like grave markers that people don't even know that they're graves. They walk past it not knowing how dead you are. Nothing but deadness. Just a big actor. Well, it didn't take long, but one of the uh, lawyers had an objection. Now we see the woe to the lawyers as they decided to, um, to yelp. Someone once said this, that whenever you preach a message, the one that, um, whenever, nah, whenever you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. And so inside of a message, the person that complains is usually the person that got hit. Well, 
Here's a lawyer that got hit. Notice in verse 45. Then one of the lawyers. Now remember these are people who have studied the law. And not only studied the laws. They start studying the loopholes of the laws. And start making commentaries on the laws. And done everything. They've studied everything about the law. But obeyed. But didn't obey it. Then said one of the lawyers. And said in a master. Thus saying also reproaches us also. Hey Jesus. When you're yelling at them. That hit us. And Jesus said yep. That was the intention. Verse number 46. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers. All right, fine. You want to bring attention to you? Let's cover you. For ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Now remember the lawyers study the law and the intricacies of the law and write commentaries and then commentaries on the commentaries. And they made it so it was such a burden to try to live this Jewish life. For example, they would actually measure out in the Sabbath day. And they would say what kind of burden you can bear. And what burden you can carry without being work. And they would have a big commentary law. That if you uh, were able to have a burden, you couldn't carry it like this on your hand. You couldn't carry it. But if you could carry it in your elbow, if you could carry it in your ear. If you could carry it inside of your pocket. But it had to be a certain in your pocket. If it was inside of your wallet, your wallet had to be upside down. Because if it was heavy enough to fall out, then it was too much of a burden. But you could, And they would make this whole thing about what it was like. And it was such like, Why? I mean, they made a rule that a lady could not look on a mirror on the Sabbath day because she may see a gray hair and pluck it out and that's too much work. You're just violating. You're just going to doom everything. And it was just such a burden. And there was so many rules. And I'm just saying just a couple of them. I mean, just to make fun of all of I mean, to describe all of them. I mean, it may be entertaining, but there would be too many. And they made it such a burden. And by the way, the lawyers were always like, that's not for us. We are above it. We already know everything. It is you that have to obey this. They're not troubled at all. But everyone else who's trying to be right with God and they hear the doctors and the lawyers say, well, in order to be right with God, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this. Then you have to do it, but you have to do it this way and you can't do it this way. And the people are like, I'm trying, but now it's, it's no fun to be on the Lord's day. It's no fun to be on the Sabbath day. It's too much work to not work on the Sabbath day. Amen. And instead of thinking about God, I'm thinking about all the rules that I have to keep. And that's the opposite of what God wanted to get accomplished. And Jesus is yelling at him, said, you lawyers, you messed everything up. Notice if you don't mind, let's go again. <clears throat> Verse number 47. Woe unto you, for you build sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. So here are the lawyers that want to build up big monuments and build big presentations on all of the Old Testament prophets. And yet, it was the lawyers and the Pharisees of their day that killed them all. They're like, if you were there in Jeremiah's day, you would have killed Jeremiah. You guys remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet that preached for 40 years. And finally, at the end of his life, when Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem, the people go up to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, what should we do? Jeremiah says, let me pray. Let me get it to God. All right, good. God says, stay here and submit to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The people are like, that's not right. That's not what God said. You're lying to us. Fine. We're going to Egypt. God said, don't go to Egypt. We're going to Egypt. In fact, we're taking you with us. 
So Jeremiah is dragged to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, the people like Jeremiah preach to us. Listen, obey God. You shouldn't have left in the first place. God's going to curse you. You should have listened to him. Hey, we don't like Jeremiah's preaching, so we're going to kill him. He didn't want to come in the first place. And the Pharisees are like, oh, great Jeremiah. Oh, what a great preacher of his day. And God said, listen, you talk about how great Jeremiah is, but you killed him. In his day. You like Isaiah? Isaiah, the great preacher who preached all those years. You know what happened to him? Someone didn't like his preaching. So they put the old preacher inside of a log. And they sawed it asunder when he's 70 years old. That's not how an older preacher is supposed to be treated. Jesus said, you like Isaiah and you like his prophecies. But you put him to death. Just to prove his point. Notice what he said in verse number... um, 48, truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they killed him and you built their sepulchers. Therefore, also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. So God said, just to prove that I'm not exaggerating, let's give you some more apostles and prophets, and let's see what you do with them. James killed Paul beheaded, Peter crucified upside down. Hey, you read the book of Acts, how many times the Jewish people tried to kill Paul? How many times they did kill Paul and he rose again? And then they killed Jesus just to prove. They, if they had Jeremiah in Jesus' day, they would have killed Jeremiah. If they had Isaiah in Jesus' day, they would have killed Isaiah. This same crowd, they weren't any better. They liked to talk about the Bible, but they didn't like to obey the Bible. And that was the problem. Verse 50, and the blood of all the prophets, which was shed uh, from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. Notice this. This word this generation occurs 16 times in scripture. It is usually associated with adjectives such as an evil and adulterous generation. Such as a faithless and perverse generation. When Jesus is talking about this generation, he's talking about these Pharisees. He's talking about these lawyers. He's talking about people who had access to the word of God, but had no desire to obey the word of God. Jesus goes on, verse 51, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zechariah. So basically it's talking about from the martyrs from A to Z. It's also talking this in chronological order that Abel was the first person to die in the Bible for his faith. Genesis chapter 3. His brother wanted his own way of worshiping God, but it wasn't the way that God said to worship. So what happened? Abel was killed because he didn't... Somewhat guy didn't want to worship God the way that God said to worship. Then you go to Zechariah. If you remember, Zechariah was the son of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was the great high priest who had protected Joash when he was a baby and helped raise him up. And then when he became king, Jehoiada was the one who helped prop up the king and encourage the king. But when Jehoiada died, 
the king Joash all of a sudden didn't want to obey God. And so when Jehodiah's son, who by the way was raised in the same household as Joash, said, listen, that's not what the Bible said. Joash killed Zechariah, the son, the person who raised him and protected him from when Athaliah tried to kill him. Once again, another person was killed because the people didn't like the message because they didn't let them worship God the way that they wanted to worship God instead of the way that God said to do it. And here are the Pharisees, the same thing. They want to worship God the way that they want to worship God, but they don't want to obey God's word. And if anybody who wants to say, listen, that's not the right way, that's not what the Bible says, they want to kill him. And to prove it, they're going to kill Jesus very shortly. Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you've entered not into yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. We'll cover this verse in just a second. But with this, we can see here are these Pharisees. Here are the lawyers. Now, they originally developed because of a good thing. After the Babylonian captivity, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, sent the Hebrew people back to rebuild their temple. And under Zerubbabel, they went ahead and reestablished their temple. Under Ezra, they reestablished the religion. Under Nehemiah, they built their wall and reestablished their city. Under Ezra's guidance, they put together the first Pharisees and the first lawyers who were there to preserve God's word and to make sure that we had God's word preserved without it falling apart. They were originally put there as the first gatekeepers, the keepers of God's word. And yet somewhere along the line, they stopped obeying God's word and just satisfied with being the keepers of God's word. Listen, I have God's word. I know it's God's perfect word. And it's mine. I hold it to it. Well, do you obey it? No, no, no. It's good enough just I have God's word. You see, I know lots of things. I know more Bible about you. Well, do you obey it? No, it's just good enough that I know more than you. And that's where they came to. That they had more knowledge than everyone else. And they were satisfied with having more knowledge than everyone else. But they didn't obey the knowledge that was given to them. And over time, this developed to the Pharisees of the Bible, where they were hypocrites. You know, the Pharisees knew a lot of scripture. The lawyers knew everything you can know about the Bible on the surface. But neither group obeyed. And that was the problem. Now, of course, there's a reaction. Jesus preached. And again, because of my voice, I can't preach like Jesus preached. But this is one of the most scathing messages that was ever preached. When Jesus preached, he tanned hides. He stepped on toes and took baseball bats. He got their attention and they are offended. Now, you would almost expect he give an invitation and people get right. But they are not right. Let's prove it. Verse number 53. And as he said those things to them, the Pharisees and uh, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to urge him vehemently and provoke him to speak many things. This idea of urge him vehemently carries the idea that they're calling him names and yelling at him. 
Now, isn't that always interesting? That instead of talking about doctrine or where Bible's wrong, now, ah, you're stupid head. You're the one that's wrong. And they start yelling and start assailing his character and trying to provoke him, trying to get him in a fight. They're not talking about doctrine now. They're name calling. And they're all upset and they're trying to get Jesus to drag into a fight with them in an argument that's all an emotional argument not based off of scripture. They're just mad and they don't like Jesus and so they're calling him stupid head or whatever they're calling him and their religious names and they're provoking him. This carries the idea that they're yelling at him when they're yelling vehemently. This carries the idea passionately. They're carrying with angrily. They're carrying with him with the idea that they want to destroy him. Verse 54, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him of. What they're doing is they're trying to provoke him. Now they're saying awful things, but they've already been found guilty. They're trying to get Jesus to say awful things so that way they could point to him. Look, look at how bad his language is. Look at how angry he is. Look at him. When they're guilty of the same thing, they're just trying to get this and bring it into a name-calling argument. That's the Pharisees. Now you say, well, that's pretty good. We're not the Pharisees. What do we take out of this? This is a Sunday night crowd. We're not yelling at lost people. We're not trying to twist people's arm. We're not yelling at people who are doing... What do we do here? Well, notice with me in verse number 52. And this is where we're going to spend our time. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Notice that phrase there. The key of knowledge. Remember that the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes had the word of God and they knew a lot about God's word. But they got to the place where knowledge of God's word was enough. But they didn't obey it. We're satisfied with our knowledge of God, not our obedience of God. So much so that he said, Woe unto you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. So here's this idea. In their hand they had the key of knowledge that opens up all the knowledge of truth they could ever want to know. But instead of entering in themselves... They were satisfied with having the key. And yet, anytime someone would want to go in to get knowledge themselves, to know more about God, to enter in into a personal relationship, they would find some way to trip that person up, to convince them not to go through the door, to hinder them. You say, all right, how does that apply to us? We know that we have something special here. We have the Word of God, and we have the access. We know that there are some good, well-meaning preachers out there who may not have the education, may not have the basis. They open the Bible and they're doing the best they can with what they have. Praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for every single one of them. Here, we have something special. And again, forgive the personal thing, but God has equipped me a little bit differently. And we get to hear great messages from the Bible all the time. And just because we have knowledge that some others do, 
doesn't make us better. It makes us more responsible. And one of the things, God did not put you in this church just to gain knowledge. He gave you this opportunity to be in the church to learn so you can use it to help others. If you could forgive the personal thing, my kids, we have this talk all the time. God didn't put you in my family to have a preacher and a dad like this just because. There, you have more responsibility than other kids do. There are some other kids. There are people around Green Bay. There are pe- people around the world that would love to be involved in a church like this. Who would sit every service, service pad and paper in hand, and just eat it up, begging. There's a dearth of knowledge. There's a dearth out there where people don't have Bible preaching like this. Now again, I'm not trying to bring attention to myself, but we're recognizing we do have something special. You have a key of knowledge. You have access more than most people will ever have access to. Are you taking advantage of it? I mean, it's one thing to be able to eat steak every meal, but what are you doing with it? I mean, you could get fat and happy and get to the idea of the Pharisees. Listen, we're better than the other churches and we're not better than the other churches. We're better because we have more knowledge. Look at how swollen we are with knowledge. Look at how great we are. My pastor knows more than you. So what? There are many churches that may not have as much knowledge, but are a lot more obedient with what they have. There is a responsibility you have for being a part of this church. You have a responsibility to learn. God's not giving you all this information so you could just store it away and leave it. There's going to be an expectation. If this church is going to be the great church that God wants it to be, it's not because it has a great preacher. It is because of the people take what they've learned and teach it to someone else. I've given this illustration before, but I'll give it again. That a lot of people believe that Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, that the London Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England, was a great church because of Spurgeon. And he was a great orator. And they just imagined that people would just flock to the church all service after service. And there was a couple years where that happened. But to be honest, what happened and what made Spurgeon's name great and what made that church great was that every time he preached on Sunday morning, 3,000 people took that Sunday morning message, they listened, they took notes, they took that same message and they preached it everywhere inside of London. They would have little chapels. They would go to their workplaces and preach the message. And everybody heard Spurgeon's message, not because they went to the church, but because they took that message and taught it to someone else. There is going to be a level of an expectation that God places in this church. That every single one of you who have been here are going to be expected to teach this same stuff. 
That's why God's teaching you. That's why we have this prep time. That's why there's a slow burn in our growth. Because he's got to grab all of us to the place where we're teaching. May I say the thing that is holding us back Amen. now is the lack of people teaching. Amen. We have to have people who are now discipling. Amen. We have many of you have already graduated the discipling course. You must Teach someone else or we die. Amen. This is our responsibility. You have the key of knowledge. Amen. It's now in your hands. What are you going to do with it? The two choices is to be like the Pharisees and say, listen, I'm at a great church. I'm growing. I'm getting more knowledge. Look, and what's going to happen is you're going to rot from the inside out. You are going to die spiritually and so will this church. Or you could take the door of knowledge, open it up and enter in yourself. This does you no good if you don't do anything with it. This is the next step. This is the next level. And once we decide to take the, knee, uh, the key of knowledge, we will grow tremendously more than you can expect. But we can't go further until you do something. This is where we're at now. The key of knowledge. You've been able to get spoiled. And by the way, we are spoiled. I had someone who listened <laughs> to another speaker not too long ago. They were invited to a meeting and they listened to the special meeting. And they said, well, it was nice. But man, he didn't even open up the Bible. I'm just couple times. That's what most people get. Mm -hmm. They get a verse and someone closes the Bible and they give their thoughts for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. You have something different here. God has brought you here on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's not by accident. There's a reason why we exist here and it's prepared. And there are great things ahead of us. The key of knowledge is in your hands. What do you do with it? So the invitation that we see is we see a glimpse of our future or we could see a glimpse of what God has for us. We could rot and die spiritually if we don't do anything with this. You have a responsibility that God has given very few people it seems nowadays. There's there's other good Bible teaching churches. We understand that. We do understand that they're rare. Mm -hmm. We're not the only ones. And there are other churches that are doing a good job with what they have. We have something different. And we are held to a different level of responsibility because of it. So those of you who are in discipleship, you need to continue discipleship with this in mind you're going to be expected to teach someone when you're done. For those of you who have accomplished discipleship, 
The key is in your hand currently. You have access to all this knowledge and you've sat here for a while and learned. What are you going to do with that key? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.